been a while. Um, I definitely said at one point that it wouldn't take me a month to make a new episode. And lo and behold, here we are one month later, finally with a new episode. And, and not, not for lack of you know, finding topics and not for lack of having anything to discuss, because a lot has gone on. Um, uh, as far as like what's been going on with life, life is good. Life is very consistent. Um, I'm just continuing to work and just spending time with friends that I haven't seen in an exorbitant amount of time. Uh, that relaxing, trying to have a social life and, and coordinate events and everything of that nature and, and getting planning out of the way and working on my own personal other projects, you know, trying to remember that's like, oh yeah, I should update the, uh, the Instagram for the page and, and work on the, the stuff for the YouTube. So I have like another project that I'm working on. I got other, I got all this different shit that I want to do at the same time. And that's the problem is, uh, is with being creative is you have all these ideas and you have all these ways about how you want to go about it. But you also have things that you want to do in your downtime. Like I, I like, you know, watching my videos, looking at uh, essays, and then just like if I have to go over to script writing, that's a whole process. Um, like trying to stay on top of pop culture and then producing content for it uh, can very much be very, very uh, uh, time and, and energy draining, especially when you do actually have like a, a career that you're trying to keep up with. Um, so I have like career stuff that I had to focus on. My, my, my credit card this month just got a damn workout. Um, let me tell you that. Let me tell you something. <laughs> like, oh, oh my God, I have, I have so many things I have to do. Like, and a lot of this is just like stuff I have to do for for my job and my life and my career, uh, and then just personal things that I want to invest in, you know, for fun. Uh, you know, like new games, new game systems. Uh. E3 happened. Well, uh, if I can get the guys on, I'll probably want to talk with them about that. Um, you know, showing my friends, the boys, just eating, uh, meeting people, you know, going out, dating, blah, 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 all that shit. Like this is a lot of time. It's a lot of time and energy. Um, you know, trying to maintain a, a life, uh, getting back into fitness as well. That's, that's another thing. So, you know, training, keeping track of everything. It's just like, it's a lot. It's a lot that goes on, and especially when, like, I don't really have a, a niche as a creative. It can definitely make elements uh, of this whole, you know, addition to my lifestyle very, very time-consuming. It's like, oh, am I going to shoot this day? Or am I going to watch so I can, uh, uh, you know, write this next episode for, for Modern Black 51? Um, which is still very, very slowly going. Uh, it's, it's just kind of on the back burner. It's like, oh, am I going to work on this book? Oh, when am I going to get back to this book? Um, oh, am I going to see this person that's in town? Oh, am I going to see that person in town? Oh, am I going to spend time with family? Um, but yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of people can relate just because as the world is beginning to open back up, so too is uh, my options for freedom, which I think is great. You know, it, it's not really that I'm doing nothing. It's just a lot of uh, my efforts are explicitly focused on content. Um, so that's my long reason and, and story behind. It's like, where have you been? For those that have wondered, where has he been? Uh, he he's been he's been working, but I didn't forget. I didn't forget. I just needed kind of that that little push because you know podcasting is is a lot easier than like going through a video and, and editing that, um, which I did as I'm working on this this new uh, parody project, which the teaser I put out recently. That's not even close to what the finished one is really going to look like. That's just kind of a test run 
of a little bit of the audio that I have currently. Um, I haven't fully added in like music effects, you know, editing isn't fully complete, but it's like about 30% there. I still got a, a ways to go. Um, but I will say, you know, as far as that project goes, I'm, I'm hoping to make that a long-term thing, but I say that about a lot of things. So, um, yeah. Anyways, if this is your first time here, my name is Will and welcome to the Ace podcast where we talk all things art, culture, and entertainment, but more specifically pop culture entertainment, because I guess I can't pronounce the T's and things. We're doing another solo show today, people, before I have to get back to my actual work. Um, so today is actually a pretty light day for me, and that makes me very, very happy, because it makes my life much, much easier. But how are you doing? How have you been? It's been some time. Um, that's my phone, which has my notes for today's show. But yeah, on this show, uh, usually I would break things down into into three sections where we talk like the big two, which is stuff that usually pertains to either... Uh, Warner Brothers or Disney, uh, or specifically DC and Marvel. But in this case, um, there's a lot that kind of happened. And, and I want to get to E3 at some point, but we haven't, you know, uh, we will get there hopefully next time because that happened in the week uh, before me recording today. But there's, there is much to discuss. Um, so let's. Oh boy, where do we want to start? Where do we want to begin? Let's talk about um let's talk about some stuff with the big two. Uh and I guess, you know, adjacent to them, DC and Marvel. So first is WB. So WB Warner Brothers News. WB apparently has gotten purchased by Discovery. So that's gonna be a joint union now. Uh I didn't realize that Discovery was this big, but it looks like, you know, the the, either the CEO or the CFO will be stepping down. And so WB is getting a new head and it's going to be one of the uh, heads of discovery. They're going to do a lot of changing and formatting around. And uh, I'm very, very interested to see where this is going to go in the long term, and, and specifically for as far as their properties go for like Harry Potter, uh, DC Comics, like all the big stuff that, that uh, Looney Tunes, I'm curious how they're going to go about like production. And I think there's going to open the door for a lot of uh, additional overlap. But yeah, Discovery's acquisition of, uh, of WB, I believe, is very intriguing because it's still under, I believe, AT&T. So this is going to be fascinating to see what they do with it going forward. But um, yeah, that, that's a little bit of news regarding that. Uh, Stuff it around a bit. Um, what else do we have? Uh, oh, the the CW Powerpuff Girls show actually has to be reshot because the pilot script leaked uh, for the first episode, and the internet, who already didn't approve of it, myself included, unanimously agreed that it was garbage. Um, I, I wish I capitalized on the moment because I actually do have the the script. Somebody sent it to me. Um, and man, I got about three pages in three to five pages in like a 40 ish 60 ish page script. Cause you know, it's about like a one hour episode for these very rough CW shows aside from Superman and Lois. Um, yeah, it was bad. Uh, it, it was, it's something that like, I, I say this to somebody that was a fan of Powerpuff Girls as a child. I could tell within the first page of dialogue that this show wasn't right. It was a piece of dialogue that like bubbles had in the first episode. And I'm like, bubbles doesn't talk like that. 
Now, now I know there's like a thing about like adaptation. I'm not trying to gatekeep or anything. Be like, it's not my bubbles. It's this is these aren't the Powerpuff Girls that I grew up with. But it's like the way they talk just seems like in the evolution progression of the characters just doesn't seem. I don't know. I I don't think it really captures. I think some of the spirit of what was kind of like cool or interesting about the Powerpuff Girls as characters. Also, the decision to, you know, for Professor Drake Utonium, um, man, what a, what a waste of good talent, too, because the actor they got is uh, uh, the same actor as Turk from Scrubs. I, unfortunately, I can't remember his name, but he's, like, dating Miss Bellum, I think, um, in it, and but he's also, like, really standoffish. Like, I think that's actually an interesting thing, but uh, I don't know if it, like, fits the, the way the character was before and just, like, the, like, uh, all things, all as as much as I wasn't a fan of the reboot, um, I guess you could qualify it as a remake because it's like starting over from zero, uh, the remake of, of Powerpuff Girls. Um, I wasn't a fan really. And, and I don't think they really did a great job at like capturing the humor or intrigue or like even the violence of, of the original and what made them like cool and distinct characters. Um, that one, at least they still kind of, they weren't like, the characterization wasn't as, you know, cringe inducing. Like I could still see the things of what they were trying, like they were trying to do modern updates of these nineties characters, but I think it didn't really land as well, um, for like the audience, um, that they were, that they were going for. Cause I think what's interesting about Powerpuff Girls is, is it's kind of like, yes, it's little girls and yes, they are like little girl characters, but it's, it's kind of a, boys show if you're going off like stereotypical metrics it's it's a little bit more i guess masculine in terms of like you know violence <laughs> and and having like the dichotomy of these cute sweet innocent looking girls like constantly fighting big scary monsters and bad guys that's kind of a like a stereotypical metric for like more masculine shows there's nothing wrong with that you know because it was interesting because the marketing was more towards little girls and like, cause I remember there being little girl shirts and little girls toys and action figures and plushies and dolls and everything. But like in terms of the actual show itself, it was very like action oriented and they had different adventures and they all had like different skills that they brought to the table and different talents and a, and a, f- a freaking incredible rogues gallery. The rogues gallery on Powerpuff Girls is, is up there with like, in terms of independent shows, it, uh, it's up there with like Danny Phantom, or Ben 10, like of, of original characters, like freaking phenomenal. Um, but just like reading into the script, I'm just like it, I th- they, they added in dialogue pieces that like in an attempt to update the characters from a more millennial generation makes them like the most annoying versions of those types of characters. So it's just like, you know, um, like it, it's, it's almost like they, they're kind of like the jokes that people would make about the girls like, Hey, what if Buttercup Buttercup grew up and became like a butch lesbian or uh, Blossom grew up and became like, you know, this, uh, this like smart ass know-it-all or Bubbles became like this girly girl. And it's like, they almost sound like sat satirical takes of the actual characters. Uh, but I don't think that works. And, and I'm disappointed because Diablo Cody was one of the writers and she did Jennifer's body, which is actually a pretty good movie. Uh, Especially if you like go back and take a look at it, it's 
it, it does a lot in terms of storytelling and kind of breaking tropes or f- pushing back against tropes about like the hypersexualization of like young women um, and touch, touches on elements of rape culture. So I'm very surprised that a script that is of such a low, poor caliber came from somebody who's actually pretty smart and talented. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see uh, when they eventually do a trailer for it. Um, let's see. What are some other things that we have from the world of WB? Uh, I guess we can talk. Uh, well, I guess. Um, Lucifer season five completed itself. So its second half came out. And I guess I'll do a full spoiler discussion on that. I'm not going to stay on it too long. But um, also looking up something else for us to discuss later. But I really liked season five. Uh, I was surprised, actually. I do remember watching the first half. Lucifer, I have an interesting relationship with because I watched the first one or two episodes when I was in college, when it first aired and I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting premise for a procedural. And then I entirely fell off of it for years. And I think it was last year, uh, over the summer, actually, I'm like, okay, I'll pick it back up and finish it. And I caught up, um, and through all its highs and lows, it's honestly a pretty solid show that I think, you know, could definitely, uh, get a little bit more attention. Like I think the cast is very, very talented. I think they're very interesting. The characters that they portray are very fun. Uh, I love Mazikeen. I love Eve. I really enjoy Lucifer and his dynamic with Amenadiel. Um, you know, the introduction of him and, and Michael as twin brothers, uh, the introduction this season of, of God as, uh, the, the Allstate nigga is, is Kanye West refers to him, but no, uh, Dennis Hayward playing God, I think is a fantastic addition to the cast and kind of the storyline that he goes on. Um, the plot for the season as they switch, cause really like the back half of season five is a little bit more just like season six than like even though I know season six is going to be their last season and I know they have a lot to reckon with what with, uh, the new God <laughs> and everything that that's going forward. Um, but, uh, I think it continues to be well acted. The budget is certainly there. I think the show is honestly at its strongest when it moves away from the procedural elements of, of it. Um, like they're what I would say are probably the weakest elements of the show, but they do kind of help move the characters around from place to place and allow for interaction with like the actual overarching plot uh, of the series of, you know, Lucifer racking with like, first of all, leaving hell and then like his relationship with um police girl. <laughs> I'm blanking on her name real quick. Um, but the, the detective, um, God, what an awful accent I just did. <laughs> but yeah, you know, talking about his relationship, um, you know, Mena deals with with the psychologist. It's just like, it's, it's a whole cast of characters I was very, very fond of. Um, with that being said, and, you know, talking full spoilers here, full spoilers, uh, the death of Lieutenant Dan, I was actually in disbelief. I didn't believe it happened. I thought he would come back because it seemed like such a... It was so sudden and so random. And I think there may have actually been a stealth reference in there, like a meta reference almost. Um, I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but uh, the guy that ends up killing Dan, um, 
which I, I guess kind of leads back to, and it leads kind of back around to Michael as well. The guy that ends up killing Dan is the same actor that plays Chuck on Supernatural, where Chuck plays God. Well, Chuck is God in Supernatural. Sorry, spoilers for if you haven't seen Supernatural yet. Um, Chuck turns out to be God. The actor that, that plays him, I, I'm blanking on his name. Like when he showed up, I remembered exactly who he was. Um, Cause you know, he looks the same, but he's playing like a, a French guy. And I'm just like, that's very interesting. So I don't know if they did that on purpose or not, but that's like a really kind of meta element of just like having the God of another franchise come and, and kill like this really important character, which ends up setting off Lucifer, one of the sons of God uh, on towards fighting his brother for like the throne, the throne of heaven. Um, but yeah, and, and Lucifer's like sacrifice at the end of the season I thought was great. Um, the war with the angels was really interesting. And, and t- kind of the introduction of more in- angels I thought was really fascinating. You get to see how interesting and diverse they are um, and, and kind of their relationship dynamics and what their personality types are like. And you have this lovely little kind of pantheon of, of heaven, which I think is just fascinating, um, especially given this character. It, it, it always makes me very intrigued for uh, Neil Gaiman's portrayal of Lucifer in the comics, because from what I've heard, that's a lot more cosmic and, and big like philosophies and ideas and weird concepts and journeys that Lucifer goes on personally versus this one is, is more the, it's more group, you know, um, Chloe, detective Chloe Decker. Um, that was her name, but yeah, this one's a little bit more focused on Lucifer's relationships with people and particularly with humanity. And I think it's really interesting with what they set up. Cause like, honestly, I really wanted a meta deal to, to pick up the mantle and, and, you know, be God uh, by the end of the season. So their decision to have it come to, I think it would have been way more interesting to have Lucifer working with the meta deal to understand what humans need from God and against their brother and no one really knows Michael like Lucifer because they're twins so I thought that would have been more interesting to see Lucifer actually be more humble uh for once which is out of character so I thought that would have been interesting development but what they kind of did is they, they used Lucifer as not so much humble but him learning that uh to become God is kind of this element of you know self-sacrifice and value the value of love in, in human life and you know these emotions the value of like the spectrum of emotions as well like his love for chloe was so much that he said i will i am willing to risk myself to go into this into the silver city to pull her back down because she didn't deserve to die uh the way she did at the time she did so i would rather forfeit the throne of my father god uh if she has a chance to rightfully live especially after after you know Thinking in context, like I know he was doing it out of love, but I mean, he also had a very positive relationship with, um, you know, their, their daughter, who's again, one of the best characters in the show, uh, is, is Chloe's daughter. And I, this show is, is what kind of helps me remember that, uh, I have, you know, there's maternal instinct. I have what I call paternal instinct where something about seeing children vulnerable to like their fathers just actually strikes a really, really hard core with me. Um, so every, so, you know, I haven't cried at anything at a, at a film or TV project, but I've gotten explicitly close on several occasions and, and a lot of them kind of involve this dynamic. Like it happened in Logan uh, when she died. And so like watching 
their daughter run up and say, it's like, uh, it's like, I need my daddy. And I'm just like, Oh, Oh, the tears are coming. Why is this actress so good? Like I'm, I'm over here, like fucking holding, holding back everything. Cause that, that child has to be protected. Um, she's, she's a very talented actress, but like seeing Dan go, it wasn't heartbreaking because it was Dan. Like Dan's a, a cool character. Don't get me wrong. And I think he goes on a very fascinating, you know, personal journey this season with like learning about Lucifer, learning their relationship with God. But then his death is so sudden and jarring um, that you kind of don't believe it. And it kind of doesn't set in, especially with all these angels and demons and everything, people coming in and out of heaven and hell regularly um, that you kind of forget that like humans have the, their own separate lives and then discovering that Dan went to hell because he still carried guilt with him. And that's what, you know, binds people to hell. Um, also nice to see uh, uh, the, the pants asshole, guy make another appearance and he's in heaven and him actually being the one to explain to Lucifer. It's like, you know, you helped me uh, become a better man and let go of my guilt and, and regret so I could move on and, and go forth into the kingdom of heaven. I thought that was really nice. And that, you know, he's like the strange relationship that Lucifer has had with this one guy, but the way that the writers are finding a way to kind of implement him at least a little bit into each season since his first appearance. Um, I would consider him almost a fan favorite character because I really like him. I think what what's interesting to me is that like the way these characters are written, I find myself very engaged with them and, and their stories and, and their plots. You know, the Amenadiel realizing that his son, Charlie, is uh, is fully human um, and just what that means of as an angel where it's like, you know, you will live forever, but you have to watch your child live, grow old and, and eventually die and kind of racking with that and wondering, it's like, what can it, what can I do? And then Mazikeen, you know, learning that she might have the potential to grow a soul and, and kind of her getting back with Eve, which I thought was uh, interesting. I wish we got a little bit more of that actually, but I also like Mazikeen's my favorite character. And so seeing, and, and Eve is a character that I've always just like kind of really enjoyed and been fascinated with uh, just to see how the relationship grows. And, and, and I always kind of wish we got a little bit of an interaction between Eve and, and Cain um, and getting to view more of a, of like Abel and, and Adam's relationship with them. But I think even Cain would have been a fascinating one. Um, and then, you know, Mazikeen learning to love and be vulnerable. And also this absolutely beautiful shot when they were going on a mission together of just like their silhouettes contrasting against the sunset. I'm like, I want that as like a wallpaper of, you know, my uh, celestial, demonic, <laughs> uh, crime-fighting lesbians. I, like, I could watch a whole mini-series just of Mazikeen and Eve doing odd jobs, riding motorcycles. <laughs> I don't know if this is a, is a revelation for me, but I'm just like, it's, oh, it was so engaging. Um, and, and then, like, but seeing, like, Mazikeen's kind of arc, too, as, as she's, just racking with so much pain and hurt and seeing how much that she actually cares about Dan um, too, even though she always tries to push her emotions off. I, I think a, a interesting thing about like this season has a lot to do with, with the growth of the characters, even Michael having to learn to, to be humble in a similar manner as his brother and like learning the values of, of human life and things like that. Um, yeah. I wish I, I wish I had more people to kind of talk about this show with, cause I think it, it's pretty good. And, and, you know, it ending with its sixth season just makes me happy that something on Netflix is actually getting an ending on its own accord and not running it itself into the ground. Cause like theoretically where the season stops, it 
kind it leaves plenty of room open for an, another season but it could very well just stop there and i'd be like well i have questions but you know i wouldn't be pissed but uh i'm very excited for for season six and what they've set up with uh uh Lusa god is is fascinating so i i guess we'll kind of see what goes on from there um but speaking of neil the man gay man uh i don't know why i said it like that uh sandman sandman is getting its series for netflix and slowly but surely its cast has been trickling out uh because this is actually what's funny is uh, as the series will be coming on a netflix um as Lucifer ends, you know, Sandman will, I guess, be taking its place. And uh, what's, what's interesting is um, they've slowly been drip feeding the, the cast. Uh, I think a while ago we talked about the initial casting uh, itself. Um, and, you know, Gwendolyn Christie has been cast as Lucifer. I don't know if we went in depth on it, but uh, that is what... That's what's actually rather interesting is that people were wondering because, you know, it's another Gaiman project if Tom Ellis would reprise his role in it. Um, and they, they went with Grendelin Christie, which I think is a, is a perfect casting choice if you know about, like, the his adaptation of Lucifer being inspired by, uh, uh, oh, David Bowie. I believe with, with like the different eye colors. So I'm like Gwendolyn Christie very much can kind of fall into that level of like beautiful androgyny. I believe that in terms of like the more comic accurate version of Lucifer, I think Tom Ellis does a fantastic job in terms of personality, creating like this, uh, pansexual being of like, uh, just raw desirability. I think that's what's interesting is like, he's very, attractive in terms of the interpretation that his version is given, but having Gwendolyn Christie fill in this role, I think she, she's talented. Um, granted I've only seen her in a handful of projects, but I'd be very interested to see what she brings to the role. But I can certainly, I like, I can look at her and be like, yeah, I can see why they picked her. It's a very, very good pick. Um, but we got some new ones. We got some, we also got pronouns, which I thought was interesting. Um, let's see what we're looking at here. I think we did, well, well let, let's go through the, the whole cast. Um, so we have Tom Sturridge as Morpheus, AKA dream. Um, the King of dreams, Vula of the dreaming, uh, Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer, uh, Vivian Achimpong as, uh, Lucien, a gender reversed version of Lu- Lucien, uh, who's the dreaming's librarian, Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian. um, Charles Dance as Roderick Burgess, which that's so, uh, so far the the casting is very very good. Uh, Asim Chaudhry as Abel, um, one of the residents of the Dreaming. Uh, Sanjeev Baskar as Kane, another resident of the Dreaming and Abel's brother. Their story is fucking wolf dog. Uh, Kirby Howell Baptiste as Death. This is one that I like. This cast is already extremely diverse um i do recognize this actress from not from uh she played grace monroe in infinity train which is a fantastic show she was also in the good place so i know she will probably do a damn fantastic job because she can act 
very very well um and i am very very intrigued because uh, what what's interesting to me is like like i said before the last time we talked about uh sandman is that you could have just taken the cast from the audiobook and transplanted it to this and, and i actually need to prepare my wallet so i can buy the next in the series of audiobooks because um it is fantastic but kirby hall baptiste incredibly talented i like her and they cast her as death, and I don't know what it is. You know, Supernatural did it. Uh, they're doing it here in Sandman. Something about death being a black woman just makes it seem way more peaceful. So I'm very, very excited and very, very interested for her casting as death. Um, I believe the pronouns for them were she, her. Uh, Mason Alexander Park as Desire. Uh, Dreams Androgynous Sibling. Uh, Donna Preston as Despair. Dream Sister who is Twins with Desire. Here's a big one. Uh, Jenna Coleman, who you may recognize of Doctor Who fame, as Johanna Constantine, uh, an occult detective and ancestor of John Constantine. Coleman plays two versions of the character, one in the 18th century and another in the present day. So we're getting female John Constantine, which I think this is the first we've seen of it but seeing her name on a project automatically gets me excited um you know all things considered as back and forth as the writing can kind of be within doctor who i have almost never had any issues as far as the casting decisions go i think the actors that they usually picked on that show are very very good um so i'm very excited to see jenna coleman on another project something that's you know has a big history in a sense. So uh, I think she'll kill it. I think she'll do a fantastic job. Uh, the the choice to gender swap John Constantine, I don't think it's a bad one. It, it, it produces a, a very interesting, I'd say, I guess a, a interesting perspective in terms of uh, where they're going to go with these characters and what story they're going to kind of tell because I, I think it'll be funny to see just a really rough and gruff, annoyed occultist detective uh, as a woman, as opposed to the one we've got used to with Matt Ryan, who, again, does a fantastic job, uh, as as we've seen him as Constantine. So I, I guess, you know, this 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 version, this adaptation of Sandman is very much breaking a lot of boundaries, and I think it's going in line with the vision that Neil Gaiman wants, because I, I, I think he's, he's uh, sticking his fingers a lot in this project as, as an executive producer, which makes me very happy. And I think it's allowing him opportunities to do more with these characters that he ha- than he had before. Uh, but let's keep going. Joely Richardson as Ethel Cripps, Burgess's lover, mother, mother of John D. And then Niamh Walsh as young Cripps. Um, I'm trying to remember. Do I remember Ethel Cripps? I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I am unfamiliar with this one. I don't, I no, I haven't seen Nip Tuck nor the Tudors. Um, oh, she was in One Hundred One Dalmatians, so I guess I have seen her in something. Um, okay, David Thewlis as John D, aka Doctor Destiny. That's now that's going to be interesting. Um, Doctor Destiny, who what a what a son of a bitch. Uh, that's right, you may recognize him as Ramus Lupin from the Harry Potter series. Uh, who's also in James the Giant Peach, Dragonheart. He was a uh, he was Ares in Wonder Woman, <laughs> also. Uh, so I guess he's he is DC royalty, and he will also be appearing in Avatar three. Let's get right past to oh he was in Dinotopia. Wow, he was Cyrus Crab. Okay, um that's that's some good casting. I think if if Doctor Destiny is yeah is John D, uh, just playing this unhinged asshole. Uh, especially thinking about the what was it the 
the 24-hour diner or the 48-hour diner. Um, that's, whoo, buddy. Yeah, that's going to be the one I'm most interested in, 24-hour diner. Um, so that whole sequence, I think, is going to be interesting. David Thewlis can, can act very well. Uh, I'm glad, you know, uh, I have no worries about him and how he'll do. <laughs> in the project let's see who else we got Kyo Ra as Rose Walker a young woman who searches for her lost brother and becomes the prey of the Corinthian unfamiliar with her Stephen Fry Stephen Fry as Gilbert Walker's charming bodyguard uh I'm back and forth on on Stephen Fry um he can be funny so I guess it depends with what they do you know he'll he'll occasionally like he can be funny, but he'll, every now and then he'll say things that'll that'll piss me off. Here we go, here we go. A better look at the cast, but you know he's he's talented. Um, he has a good back catalog as as an actor and performer, so I'm sure he'll do fine. Uh, Razain Jamal as Lita Hall, Walker's friend and a widow mourning mourn mourning mourning her husband Hector Hall. Don't recall her. Sandra James Young as Unity Kincaid, Walker's benefactor. I do remember her vaguely. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then Patton Oswalt is the voice of Matthew Dreams, Raven Emissary. Um, Patton Oswalt, you know, always, always like to see him. Oh yeah. I don't remember if I had talked about MODOK. Maybe I'll talk about that today, but, um, I, I, I love me some Patton Oswalt. Absolutely hilarious. Very, very, you know, solid actor. Um, I'm from unfamiliar with a lot of these, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, here we go. So we have, uh, death, she, her, desire, they, them, despair, she, her, Lita Hall, she, her, Ethel Cripps, she, her, young Ethel Cripps, she, her, oh, what a beautiful cast this is, uh, John D, he, him, Rose Walker, she, her, Matthew the Raven, he, him, Gilbert, he, him, Joanna Constantine, she, her, Unity Kincaid, she, her, I'm actually surprised Joanna is, is, uh, she, her, um, I, I don't know why I figured that for John, they're Joanna in this case, um, they might do something a little bit more genderly ambiguous, but yes, this, this cast is shaping up quite, quite well. Um, I'm very, very excited. Uh, apparently Patton Oswalt was first cast as Matthew the day before Salmon was pitched Netflix. So he's, he's always been, uh, he, he's always been at the, at the forefront of things. So I'm very, I'm very curious to see him portray dream like looking at him yeah he has this weird kind of ethereal look to him so i'll be intrigued i haven't seen any of his projects so who knows who knows but the cast so far is very very strong and that makes me very very happy so um yeah i am excited to see where things go uh do we have any other news from the world of dc comics and the world of wb uh oh uh something rather funny it's a little bit funny uh batman apparently doesn't eat cool cat yeah that's right batman uh doesn't eat pussies <laughs> so uh if you were unaware um oh sorry i just got news that the batman is uh is going into reshoots but if you if you haven't heard the news so there is an interview recently with one of the, I believe, producers. Um, oh, I guess we can talk about Flash shit, too, if I remember Flash shit. But um, apparently, uh, one, of the, one of the either writers or producers from Harley Quinn, which is a fantastic show, um, if you haven't seen it, you know, um, you, you should. But they, they pitched for season three 
of Harley Quinn for there to be a scene of Batwoman going, Batwoman, Batman, oh, that'd be, whoa, that'd be something, uh, Batman going down on Catwoman, and they vetoed it, um, so let's see. Yes, uh, in an article in Variety Magazine in which Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher, co-creators of the HBO Max adult superhero television show, Harley Quinn stated that, um, it's not a superhero show, it's a goddamn comic book cartoon. That's, that's, uh, sorry, that's a, that's a minor thing that gets me. Um, I guess superheroes are in it, but they're not the focus. Um, anyway, the co-creators did an interview with Variety about a week or two ago and stated that DC Comics killed the scene in the show in which Batman was shown performing oral sex on Catwoman. DC was like, you can't do that. You absolutely cannot do that. Do that. They're like, heroes don't do that. So we said, are you saying heroes are just selfish lovers? They were like, no, it's that we sell consumer toys for heroes. It's hard to sell a toy if Batman is also going down on someone. Which has since created just a litany of memes uh, about, you know, Batman being a... a, a, a a capitalist, but not a consumer. Um, <laughs> oh no, I feel like rich men don't go down on their wives a lot. Uh, maybe that's why they get divorced so much. But anyways, yeah, uh, I thought it was hilarious, but it's also massively hypocritical of DC to kind of come out and say that, given that in Batman, The Killing Joke, he fucks Batgirl on a rooftop. So I guess you're telling me, oh yeah, he'll have sex with somebody, but you know, he won't go down on them. You know, Batman, Batman gives me the energy of somebody who's very much a, a selfish lover. That's, that's definitely the vibe I get. I get off of Bruce. I feel like, you know, he folk, <laughs> does Batman fuck? Yes. Batman fucks, but like as violent a character as he is throwing people into walls and smashing their faces into power outlets and shit. You're telling me that is like, oh, but, but the image of, of, this superhero for children is what we want to purvey. We've done R-rated projects with Batman in them. Justice League, BVS, whether you like them or not, he's a very violent Batman. As well as, you know, Dark Knight Returns. And yeah, they're alternate universes. But even in the main line, he'd be beating people's ass. You know, bloody teeth, broken bones. Where are the other drugs? Like, Batman's been violent. But it's like something, it's, it's just another aspect of the stupid kind of sexual... Uh, wholesomeness narrative is like no i just think it's like the notion of seeing batman go down on catwoman made them randomly uncomfortable because it's something that they never thought about really and and i think you know the harley quinn writers are good enough that it's like hey that'd be an interesting and funny like cutaway bit because it's like yeah it would be and and saying that like but saying that heroes don't do that is dumb and trying to use their bottom line of like well we were trying to sell you know toys to kids well, Harley Quinn is a show for an adult, so kids shouldn't be watching in the first place. So, like, the fact that this is taking place on an adult show that you co-signed for two going on three seasons, this is on you. So this is just, like, you you gave them the right to get away with a lot of stuff. You know, Harley Quinn almost having a threesome and sleeping with, with Poison Ivy. Um, but, like, the image of Batman coming up from Selena Kyle's thighs, something is just like, no, 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 good guys don't do oral sex, no. <laughs> so stupid, so stupid to me. Stupid, but funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's all I have to say about that. Stupid, funny. There, There is another piece of news. Uh, the Flash has begun filming. And we actually got our first look. Actually, we got a little. Oh, okay. We got some filming news. Um, that that's all coming back to me at once. Uh, the Flash has begun filming. Shazam: Fear of the Gods has been filming, and we also got our uh first look at the Shazamily all together with their capes and everything. All their colors are darkened, but their costume designs are different. I like the new costume direction. 
Um, I think the fabric that they're using is also the uh, same in something else we'll talk about in a sec. I really like the fabric they're using for the suit. It looks better. It looks more fitting to the uh, muscularity of everybody's bodies. Everybody looks fantastic in the Shazamily. Um, uh, I think the capes look good. Costume design is good. Everything's good. Um, the colors got darkened for everybody, but I'm kind of okay with it. It doesn't bother me. Um, would it be cool if they were brighter? Sure, but I'm not really complaining about it. Um, it's it's more of an aesthetic thing. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of either or with it, but like the designs overall, I think look great. Now, the other piece of news, Flash has been filming um, and we officially have our first look at our new Supergirl, uh, or at least her costume. And she looks, eh, um, the, I like the fabric of it because it's similar to the one for Shazam, but they use the Man of Steel symbol, which is one interesting, and two, it's kind of kind of based off her new 52 design, and, and she doesn't have a cape on set, so it's either going to be CG, or she might be capeless, which would be a bold move. Um, and we don't really know which Supergirl this is, which, like, first of all, they casted a, a Latina actress. I believe she's Colombian. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, in the role of Supergirl, but they didn't say which one it is. I where I can only be led to assume that it's uh uh Zor L, um, but maybe it's like her hair is shorter, so it might be the Power Girl version. It does bother me that she's not blonde, Supergirl. If it's Supergirl, she's blonde, except for that one version of Kara, who uh, which one was it? There's one version of Supergirl that wasn't blonde, and I can't remember her name. Um. Is, is like one of the versions of Cars R.L. But yeah, we've been seeing like symbols um, being posted by, by what is it, Muschietti, the director? Uh, I think it's Muschietti. But um, yeah, there's, let's see, what, what are the other versions of Supergirl? Because there's, there's a lot of, lot of Supergirls. Um, but yeah, like Karen Starr is personally, you know, Power Girl is my favorite variation of Supergirl. But let's see, there is, what's her name? Uh, Sir L is the one brunette supergirl. So if it's Sir L, that'll be a fucking pull. That'll be interesting. Um so I think that'll be ballsy cuz like yeah, it's supergirl, but not the supergirl you know. Um but her having like the the House of L symbol from Man of Steel is interesting and there's like a billboard on a bus with the old with with you know Wonder Woman. Um so I'm curious about what kind of shenanigans are, are going to go on. But um, yeah, so I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with this Supergirl. I'm not a huge fan of, of her costume design, but I, th I think I'll just have to see a little bit more in action, in, in performance and everything, and uh, we'll take it from there. But Shazam looks great. I'm excited for Shazam. That's my boy. Best DC movie ever. Said what I said. Full chest. Um, and let's keep it moving. Uh, do we have any Disney news? We do. Well, there's Loki, um, but I think we can talk about Loki in the future when I have the fellows on. Um, what else is there? Uh, we did get two pieces of news from Sony. Uh, one of which I will pull up in a moment. Uh, we got a we got a leak regarding Into the Spider Verse two, but first, Aaron Taylor Johnson has officially been well, I've, I think unofficially officially been cast as Craven the Hunter for I believe a Craven solo film um so that that'll be very very interesting uh <laughs> yeah um 
I, I don't I, Aaron Taylor Johnson looks completely different than he did not 10 years ago. Like even back in, you know, every time I see him, he looks like a different guy. Uh, he like, I didn't recognize him when I saw him in Tenet, but I think that's good casting. Um, he's a, he's a talented actor. I know he can act. Um, he's making his way back to the superhero realm. Uh, I'm curious what made him say yes. Cause it's the Sony thing for me. It's the Sony for me that, that did it. But, um, yeah, I'm very curious to see what he, like, he's, he's a good, he's a good actor. He's a big dude now. Um, you know, looking at pictures of him currently, I'm like, no, I can absolutely see it. I would, I wouldn't know, have known who to pick really. I think the only one that might've come to mind is, uh, uh, who's the guy that plays Boyka, uh, Scott, Scott something. He's like maybe the first guy that comes to mind. If I'm thinking of somebody to play Craven, because he has like that physique and uh, he's a very, very talented like action fighter. Um, but, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think, can hold his chops. I think he'll do just fine. But we also have a alleged leak regarding Into the Spider-Verse 2. One of it is a piece of news. The other one is, is a bit of a, a, I guess, a leak. Um, so Into the Spider-Verse 2 has, I guess, confirmed that Issa Rae, my girl, will be playing Spider-Woman. In Into the Spider-Verse 2. Uh, Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman, which is really... It, her contractual issues is very, very, very interesting, <laughs> one should say. Um, just because... Sorry, video just kind of popped up while... But um, yeah, very happy for her. Very excited for her. Love seeing her win. Uh, Issa Rae is immensely talented. So I think she'll be able to bring a lot to the role. Um, but there's like, a, I guess, a leak. So, you know, listen to me at your own risk. But let's see. Oh, yeah, the War of War Room comes out. Um, I believe Peter Prabitor, uh, Indian Spider-Man is supposed to be appearing in the movie as well as Miguel O'Hara, played by uh, Oscar Isaac, um, and Spider-Woman are all supposed to be appearing in this movie. Um, Let me see if I can find it. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, another piece of news. We apparently got a confirmation for uh, the Silk series. Um, which I guess is happening according to Sony. Um, don't know what that's all about. Uh, yeah, it gets a, the Marvel Silk series gets Watchmen's Tom Spezialy as showrunner. Um, no other real news has really come out about it as far as I can tell. Uh, but It'll be a live action series and is expected to debut on Amazon Prime Video. And that is, uh, yeah, the other EP will be Lauren Moon, who wrote the TV adaptation based on the comic book created. And that's all we really know about Silk. Um, Whether or not it's leading into some more multiverse shenanigans, no one exactly knows. Uh, But let's see. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't find it. I can't remember what the uh, the bloody thing was, but yeah, it's supposed to be like a you know 
Spider-Man 2099 is supposed to be in it. I believe Indian Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, uh, and a couple others. I think Japanese Spider-Man might have been mentioned. But uh, it looks like they're going on a little bit more of an interdimensional hopping adventure. And I guess this might be a backdoor to a Spider-Woman spinoff. Um, yeah, Jessica Drew's relationship with, with Marvel between Marvel and Sony is really weird because she's... She's a spider person, but she has nothing to do with Peter Parker. Again, neither does Anya Corazon, for that matter. Um, but I think because she has the name Spider in it, they do own her, which is a really dumb loophole. Um, but it is what it is. But uh, yeah, that, that's basically all that we have on that and those two. Um, let's talk about some other shit. All that other shit. All that other other shit. So there's a couple things that I watched recently. Let's talk about what I watched. Um... I think I touched on Castlevania season four. Uh, it was very good. And I think there are rumors of season five incoming. I think there are also rumors that they might be considering symphony of the night and stuff with, uh, one of the other Belmonts beforehand. But, um, you know, where season four ended, I think is good. It does leave the door a little bit open given where it ended. It did end with a lot of questions that I apparently don't, exactly set up symphony of the night so maybe it might be a loose ending or not but i guess we'll we'll see but there are rumors that we're supposed to be getting a season five um let's talk about oh <laughs> two months ago i believe at this point i beat cyberpunk 2077 which i think is a very very good game for me when it's actually you know, a playable functional game, I think more people will be able to really enjoy it. Uh, once it's like, you know, it's no man's sky when it's actually done. Um, I'm considering actually purchasing it again, only because I have a foreign copy, uh, where I got all my trophies and everything. So I may have to get an American one, uh, in order for me to, to properly, you know, get through the game as I want to. I put in a good hundred or so hours into it. Uh, love that game. Um, love the characters, love the atmosphere, but I wish it was not as buggy as it came out to be. Oh man. Um, but do I recommend it? Yes. How with an asterisk, um, wait until the game is for sure done. Um, you know, I could tolerate the bugs I had. I think when I counted it, the number of crashes I had in my 100 ish hour game time, I'm um, doing all the side quests and everything came up to like about 15 on my, on my base PlayStation four. And it wasn't making my machine like hum, like a helicopter um, when I played it, but it did crash a lot. Like the, the way, whenever anyone asked me what I thought about the game, I'm like, well, uh, I had a wonderful experience. It's the first time I've ever experienced having a waifu in a game. That was a first, but um, suffice to say when I got to the end of the game and the credits began to roll, it crashed in the middle of the credits. So that is my experience with Cyberpunk 2077. Still love it. Still love the game. Uh, can't wait till they release like the actual Ultimate Edition. And I'll probably uh, boot it up on, on you know, a next-gen console to see how it runs. Um, I've been playing that. I've been playing Nier Automata. Uh, very, very fun. So far, I've unlocked, I think, four or five of the endings. I'm going back for another playthrough. You know, seeing where it takes me, what paths it leads me down. Because it's like, what, 26 endings? Good God. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be annoying. It's going to take a while. Um, uh, I actually stopped recently to go back and try out uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm like, well, I remember this game. Another game being a, a, lots of expectations that turned out to be a big buggy mess. But um, 
you know, and I looked at my, my play times. I haven't, I haven't turned the game on. I haven't made it past like the first two missions and I haven't touched the game in about three years. So that says a lot, like down to almost the day. It was insane. Um, but I figured, you know, the, the legendary collection came out. So I'm like, well, let me try it again. Let me see. I, I needed something a little bit different since I've been playing uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne on, on PC. So that's, that's been fun. But an Automata is, is very, very good. Very, very engaging. Um, incredible atmosphere but the the direct it's it's kind of short but i see why because i think once i got my first ending with 2b i clocked in like 20 25 hours including side quests and everything um so it's, it's relatively short runtime uh actually it might have been less than that it might have been about yeah 20 yeah 20 25 um it was rather short for an rpg and so i'm like going back and playing through the uh other stuff and playing with uh uh 9s and and seeing where that takes me um so that's what's been going as far as what i've been playing the things i've been watching uh we got i mean superman and lois continues to be fantastic uh uh black lace sketch show i thought was a solid second season um some of my my black female friends it, it felt like that like you know the, the the idea for the humor is there but you know they might have needed one more draft in the writer's room just for some of the jokes because like they're funny concepts but it's like the execution might have been a little lackluster but overall i still think they were funny and memorable jokes like i still kind of quote one of the songs like and i breathe air <laughs> every time i walk i see <laughs> breathe with me air with me <laughs> won't you <laughs> won't you stare with me nair with me <laughs> Uh, that's good. Pause with Sam J is a wonderful series that I would highly recommend to anybody with HBO Max. Because I, Sam J, I think is absolutely hilarious. But I think her discussions are very, very fascinating, especially from the perspective of a black female lesbian stud comedian. Um, you know, I think she has a lot of very interesting perspective, and and realizing that she interacts with a lot of comedians that I really, really like. Um, you know, Jack Knight, uh, Chris Red, um, Yamanika Sanders. You know, a bunch of hilarious black people um but just the conversation she has with like you know black conservatives or um you know lesbians that want to get pregnant or um it's kind of like cultural differences talking about like cancel culture how you know millionaires and their lifestyles and et cetera and so and so forth i think she has a lot of great conversation not just with her peers um from their perspective but people that are actually in those industries um and areas so uh, i hate that it's so short but yeah i've been watching that been watching legendary because it's just like you know once you get to that first episode you're hooked buddy you are hooked into watching these men and women and non-binaries fucking work on that stage so that's good uh and what are the oh i've seen two movies two um and after that i will close out and go about my day uh so the first thing i watched was bo burnham's new special inside um whoo i pulled some um yeah bo burnham's new special inside i finally sat down and watched it while i like had a break between my work and everything and i i thought it was fantastic uh, in my opinion i think in, in for like the the grant uh comedy awards for the Grammys. i think it should be a nominee uh i thought it was funny but also very very engaging in terms of somebody whose perspective of being stuck inside throughout the whole you know pandemic process was very very different than the average person um i actually didn't really get fatigue and and emotionally weary uh until about two two-ish months ago um 
you know, the fatigue didn't really set in for me of like not seeing my friends like I wanted to and, and not doing the stuff I wanted to do with people. Cause I was still like relatively active most of last year. So the fatigue of being inside so often didn't really set in for me, uh, because I was still kind of moving around and hanging out with, I was dating at the time too. So like going out and, and seeing like at least one person out of my house, um, I got more fatigued being probably with that person at times um, than I was being in my own home and then that kind of moved. So I had a little bit of a back and forth in comparison to a lot of other people and particularly creatives who were just like struggling with their mental health and anxiety uh, and, and like just panic and stuff with politics and everything is just crazy, 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 crazy. Um, uh, I should probably mention something else too, but um yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, a lot of people, I think, had a little bit more average reviews, but still, you know, acknowledge the stuff that that works. Like, I think the visuals are really good. Um, I think the editing is really tight. I was I was talking with uh, Cameron actually earlier, my best friend, who has appeared on my channel a couple times. But um, yeah, he said he said he thought it was all right. He actually was of the opinion that it ran a little long, and the points were a little bit belittled. But I think him and I are kind of coming from different perspectives. Of him kind of want to be a little bit more entertained by the the process. And a lot of the project has to do with like, uh, not just entertainment, but kind of like the fatigue of trying to be a creator. And his perspective and my perspective are a little bit different because, you know, he, you know, Cameron actually, he is a musician, um, a talented one. And, you know, cause he did that, that cover of Laid that I use for a lot of my American Pie reviews. And I'm still eternally grateful for him for that. Um, and, and, you know, maybe someday I'll post it on the channel if he, if he gives me permission. But um, he has the lens of a creator going through that time um, as well as dealing with his own stuff. So for him, it's not just passion. It's also like work. While for me, my creative lens is like my side thing. It's stuff that I love to do, but I can put it away, you know, um, like I have the option of going to to my work work. But I guess, you know, looking at his perspective, he is a creative, you know, like that his his thing is music and like studying music and and testing out like new things to do with music and music theory and like philosophy and history and kind of like his expansive ideology. Like that's his thing. That's his element. So I would imagine if you're going into a project wanting just to be entertained from another creative um, who who is of our generation, um, I think, yeah, him and I definitely have different perspectives on it, but I look at like, I'm looking at my creative process as, as the option of creative, but his creative process is more so like the necessity of it. Like, this is my thing. This is what I do. This is what I'm like, you know, this is where my, my skills lie and my skills kind of lie in other places while I have the option to kind of back and forth. So I think, you know, especially with a lot of it having to do with the fatigue, it helped me understand what a lot of creators went through. And, and, you know, him and I were kind of similar in the prospect of like, we didn't really get that fatigue in the traditional sense because like we don't mind being left alone <laughs> you know please please stay six feet away from me and wear your fucking mask please um even if it wasn't a pandemic leave me the fuck alone but watching inside i really liked it because it gave me the perspective of a lot of my friends who are creatives who are artists who do make and that is their thing um, rather than for me, it's, you know, and, and it's a lot of what I heard when I was like doing, you know, acting and, and studying acting and stuff like that. It's like the, just the level of hunger that you, that you have to kind of have to, to, you know, go with it and go through with it and to, to get these things off the ground to make something you got to want it like full body. And for me, it's like, I really want it. 
Like, it's not that I don't want it, but it's like I have the option of going to something else, to something else, to something else. So, you know, perspective, I think, plays a lot of role in terms of how you're going to interpret it. But I, I love the songs. I think, you know, White Woman Instagram is funny. Uh, Welcome to the Internet has a lot to it to kind of unpack that I don't know if we even have the time for. Um, <laughs> there's that one. Uh, what was it? The one he closed out on, I think, was really powerful. I think the – but the one that probably – hit me the hardest was the one about turning 30. Um, Cause I'll be turning 26 this year. So, you know, Bo was born, born in the nineties in 1990. I was born in 95. And so kind of looking on that is one of those things that I reflect on like earlier in the month, I was thinking, I'm like, well, my friends are, you know, actually we're all in the state. It's the first time we've really been able to connect in a long time. And you know, these are, these are like my brothers and I'm like, you know, I might be able to do like a, a birthday event where we get together or take a trip or go somewhere time, time willing. But like the, the, weird thing about being a younger millennial is noticing how the passage of time kind of hits you differently. And I think it's interesting what my parasocial relationship is like with Bo Burnham as a creator, because, you know, he was a teenager when I was a kid growing up with YouTube, you know, having had my YouTube account going on, uh, it'll be, it'll be 15 years this year since I've had my YouTube account. Um, so him coming on the platform, making a name for himself, making himself famous, traveling, creating, becoming a director, becoming a musician, becoming a comedian, all these huge things that he's done with his platform and his time, um, but also coming to like wanting to create what he wants to create, when he wants to create it, but also hitting 30. And 30 is such a weird number because it almost feels like you there's like this pressure with american culture and obligations like by 30 you should have it figured out not not even getting past the fact that you know you're legally an adult at 18 but you don't really really know the world until you're like 21 where you get just about unrestricted to access to everything except for maybe renting a car so maybe like 24 25 so even to go from that there's less time so it's like all right have it all together by 30 know what you want to do with your career, know what you want to do with your life, you know, have a healthy understanding of your relationships, know what you want to do with family, if you want to have a family, um, and just have it all on lock. And I think for our generation, that's a very, very terrifying uh, idea and thing about how fast time moves. Cause I, I work with people younger than me on a consistent basis. So in having conversations of, um, every now and then it'll be like, Oh yeah. When I was your age, 10 years ago, it's like, Oh God. And it hits, um, but him talking about being 30. So like I am closer in age to Bo than I am to the people I work with on like a weekly basis. And something about that and the passage of time and the speed in, in which it's like, you know, four years I'm through high school, four years I'm through college, two years I'm through grad school. Now I'm in my literal mid 20s you know, looking at, at 30 with these goals and aspirations and looking at where I am now and where I want to be. And it feels so short, you know? And, and I'm imagining like from Bo's perspective, like you're 30 and you spent like 15 of those years on the internet, making a name for yourself. And it's like, what have you accomplished? What do you want to accomplish? Like, especially for a, for a creative, seeing how the world has evolved, seeing how the internet has evolved, seeing how you evolved. And it feels like no time has passed and all the time has passed. And it's just, it's, it's weirdly like anti-cathartic <laughs> in a sense. It almost feels wasted. It's like, what have I done in comparison to other people? You know, like a, a, a classmate of mine from my high school 
uh, super duper talented uh, artist and photographer. Has made it onto the Forbes 30 under 30, and she's about a year or two younger than me. And then I look at where I am in life and, and the things that I've done and I've accomplished, which are nowhere near in comparison to what she she has. And like the things that I want to do. And the time frame in which you want to do them and like looking at talent in Hollywood that's like younger than me day by day um, and in the entertainment industry. And sometimes you almost grow cynical or you almost grow envious because you wonder, it's like, am I working hard enough? Am I trying hard enough? Am I accomplishing the things I want to do in a timely manner? Because you end up wondering, it's like, you know, is it worth the effort? Because there's a high probability that I won't do that. And will I be happy if I'm not fulfilled? And I got all of that just from him sitting in silence as the clock went down to midnight of him turning 30. But yeah, overall, still think it was really, really good. Um, I watched that. I watched In the Heights. I thought it was solid um, as far as musical goes. It had a lot of energy. I thought that the acting talent behind it was good. Um, I like Andre Ramos. Um, the The guy that was playing Benny was blew it out the park. It was uh, He played Dr. Dre in, in Straight Outta Compton. So I've seen him in that. I didn't know he had pipes like that. Dude can sing. Um, I have friends, though, that have seen the original musical, and they actually have some issues with it. Uh, and then the whole colorism controversy started going around, which I thought, you know, I didn't think it was a big deal, but I can, un- but I don't have the perspective of growing up in Washington Heights. So like hearing some of the criticisms of it, I, I, I'm not saying they're invalid. I think they are very valid because it was something that I noticed, but it didn't bother me, but I'm also not culturally part of those groups. So I had to kind of learn secondhand why, that that's kind of pertinent because like, if you're talking about New York, which is extremely diverse, I thought it initially did a good job until you get to the song number that is explicitly about the diversity of not just New York, but these kind of uh, Latin populations and distinctly not really well, including representation of other Afro Latin or, you know, Asia Latin cultures and, and things of that nature, you know, all these other islands, like you have all of like they had Jamaicans, but it's like not a lot heard about Haitians and other Caribbeans, dark skinned Dominicans, dark skinned Cubans. You know, it's very much a certain kind of flavor and palette and perspective um, that was going on with these in, in, in a movie that's kind of supposed to be embracing the, the beauty of Latin culture within Washington Heights, but I think it did end up kind of neglecting the Afro Latin culture of Washington Heights because it's New York and New York is one of the most fucking diverse places on the planet. You know, you can't spit and not hit somebody of color and of culture, um, in the city. You know, it's a beautiful city has a beautiful diversity to it. And I I thought, but I thought otherwise (laughs) colorism aside, (laughs) I can excuse the colorism, but (laughs) the dancing is where I draw the line. Um, no, we don't excuse colorism in these parts, you know, make those criticisms people so they can do better in the future when they eventually do that a uh, hamilton adaptation that'll be the funny one a black man is george washington is funny as shit um but no I, I thought you know i thought the opening number was pretty strong you can hear the influence of lin-manuel um i th- but i thought the i thought the story was interesting but a little bit lackluster but the movie was more so carried by their performances uh 
of it and and the way that it was like shot and edited i thought was good you know that like the dancing on side of the building and seeing their foot feet uh, move across the glass of people's homes and people like look out or the the whole choreography of the the water park scene um you know i was watching it with a friend of mine and I, and they're just like it's like oh no the lottery it's for ninety six thousand dollars and i'm like ninety six thousand dollars is like it it's enough to make things better like it'll certainly it'll certainly change your life yeah but it's like it's not huge it's not like a million dollars it's like it's 96,000 which is like if you're living in New York that's like student loans and then rent for about a like a year and a half to 2 years you know or or if you don't have loans like that's rent for a good with all your amenities for probably like 2 years 3 years which is good it's very good you know that or that's like a down payment on a house um, but it's just like, that's not, you know, it'll change your life in a good way, but it's like, it feels kind of sad that $96,000 is like, this could change everything for me. And you look at the situation that people are coming from and how they have to like make do with what they have. I'm like, that's nuts. And also kind of sad that it's like, it's that the, like that, what we could maybe, what, you know, we could see as like little quote unquote, um, you know what that's one somewhere that's like one ten percent or salary for a year is like ninety six k for one person in a day is like that could fix so many issues like I could get a house, I could get a car, I could feed my family and cover my rent for like a year or months, and like that that could that is the break line to stability is less than a hundred thousand dollars is like that's the break line for financial stability and it feels so close but it's also so damn far and it's like it's crazy and it's really sad thing about it from like a meta textual context but it's like still i think it's a uh, fun movie um i like the soundtrack i like the performances uh, you know some people were definitely trained to sing but some of them also have a background so it's kind of an interesting blend but i thought the i thought the performances were, were good so i'd be really uh, i'm interested to see what the reception turns out for the movie um but yeah uh i'm also getting close to time here so it's good that i'm almost done i guess the last thing i'll talk about before i sign off is meg the stallion my queen megan pete mrs mrs pete e <laughs> my my wifey for lifey the the woman i stand megan the stallion dropped her video for thought shit uh and a lot of discourse has kind of been ha- had about i think they called it hip-hop feminism which i i think that's now what i'm going to uh henceforth refer to my feminist ideology as is is, uh falling under that but um there's a lot of discussion about the subtext of the video and um once i've kind of moved past the um the gratuitous amounts of posterior that i have absolutely no complaints about because my god what an what an array of beautifully talented women oh my god i almost i almost disappeared for a second <laughs> my brain started to wander but no i think that there is actually kind of a, a bit of commentary especially with megan's ways in which she because megan is is megan's very smart and i think megan's very in touch and, and aware of what she's doing and i think she's trying to move very strategically um and i, I think you know megan is is a talent t- has talented bars and i think if she allowed herself to kind of move beyond the traditional expectations of hip hop. She could go very, very far, but I think she's very much deliberately choosing to kind of Trojan horse, a lot of 
very interesting discussion topics within her video. So this one for thought shit, I think explores a lot of themes about, uh, the need and usefulness of the average working class woman to society. Um, and what they have contributed, uh, not just to, not just to men, but just to society overall. It's like, you know, they're the people taking care of our children, you know, cleaning our homes, um, a lot of them are essential workers. I think Kimberly Foster did an excellent job and, and as well as a, another YouTuber in terms of like breaking down. Um, I, I think it's Khadija, Khadija something. Um, you should check them out. They have very interesting discussions about like the nature of hip hop feminism. And, and there is something to kind of be said about the nature of, of Megan utilizing the male gaze to draw attention to a lot of subtextual aspects of like women working, in, you know, taking out trash, working in diners and like the service industry and, and other like just need areas. Um, while also time just making a whole bop banger, some, some straight heat and, you know, seeing booty cheeks bounce like basketballs throughout the video. Um, like once, once I actually, when I watch the, when I listen to the song without the video, I can catch a lot of the bars that she has there. And I think they're really fun. And I think Megan's like doing her thing and kind of coming back into herself and like the Tina Snow persona of being like cocky and confident and full hot girl, Megan. Um, but I think at the same time, looking at the video and having this image of utilizing this like old white senator politician and the way that he decries the hypersexual nature of the ways that women are utilized within hip hop and derides it and derides the way that women embrace their sexuality more in the, uh, in the common sense, but also is once kind of that control of, of body in terms of how he's like turned on and aroused by those bodies, like almost like it's something forbidden, you know, like this forbidden thing. It was just like, ah, you know, these, the, uh, uh, these black women objectifying themselves, they need to wash their mouths out, but at the same time, like taking pleasure in, in observing and watching their bodies for your own sexual gratification. And it's like fascinating as as like it's a fascinating hypocrisy that very very much exists on both sides from both like men and women of just kind of like you know this this objectification in the most literal form of the concept of like black women and black women's bodies of just like this object that everybody wants bodies like megan you know or or bodies like these these hip hop fixins and they take pleasure in like watching them and and you know or looking at them on Instagram and the way they move but also kind of deriding them and critiquing them and judging them for dressing a certain way or moving a certain way or having their bodies develop a certain way you know like there's that whole thing going around with like Monique talking about bonnets and blah 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 um but yeah, I, I thought it, I think the discussion around it might be, I really like the video. I like the song. I'd listen to it a lot when I'm working out or whatever. I think it's fun. I think it's, you know, has a good beat to it, you know, and if the beat loud, you know, little juke made it. Um, but I think there's, there's a, it's a conversation I would really, really like to have with, uh, like other people, particularly, you know, maybe, maybe feminists about like the ways in which you can control a narrative, but through like a Trojan horse method, I would be very, very intrigued to see more of Megan's talking points about her decisions to do the video the way she did it. Cause there's a lot to kind of process there and discuss as far as like the roles that women have within society, the roles of women as essential workers. Um, but also kind of like the roles of women in hip hop and modern media. Cause I would, I would argue that like the driving force for a lot of the cultural shifts come back to, to black people 
as a black person, maybe I'm a little biased, but a, a lot of the cultural drive and the way that things move have come from us culturally, but we also don't get a lot of credit for it. Um, which ironically, as I'm recording this, uh, Juneteenth has now officially been signed as a, as a federal national holiday and, you know, 15 bigots decided, you know, disagreed with it, but it passed anyway. So I'm fine with that. Happy Juneteenth. But you know, this is crumbs to cookies right now. Um, we're asking for policy change. That is what we want. At the end of the day, we want change. We want to see it sooner rather than later to protect us and allow us the space to move and navigate safely without fear of either overt or systemic prejudice. Um, and allowing us the opportunity to navigate economically and make, you know, decisions that can benefit us, benefit our communities and help bring us up to a place of greater equity within the country and allowing us the freedom to make choices both socially and economically and whatnot. But, uh, you know, thanks for the day off. <laughs> With that being said, uh, I think it's going to close it out for this episode. Um, thank you for listening. If you like the show, or if you don't like the show, leave a comment wherever the comment sections are available. Uh, but don't forget to like this and follow the show wherever you're listening to it at. And uh, share it. Share it with your friends. Let people know. Get the word out. Hit me up. Um, yeah. So if you're looking for me, you can find me on social media, both Instagram and on YouTube, at Will the Greatest. And don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Atlas Comics Elite on Instagram. That's A-T-L-A-S comics with a S elite on Instagram. Um, yeah. Follow me, follow the show. Don't forget to like comment, turn on your notification symbols, and I will see you hopefully sooner rather than later. Be great to one another and I'll catch y'all in the next episode. Have a good one. 